I know that victory is already ours. Amen? And I am encouraged about what God is doing. You know, this year has been kind of a, a crazy year, hasn't it? And I just found out there's a dust storm headed to the United States. And I think I was telling somebody today, I said, you know, how many plagues is going to come upon? <laughs> I think you had, uh, what was it a few months ago? The, the, the bees, what were they called? Hornets. Oh, they, they called them something else. Murder hornets. How many remembers that? And now there's a dust storm. But you know what? I'm reminded that we are in the ark of safety. And we belong to him. Amen? And how many would agree with me that this is the time for us to see one of the greatest moves of the Holy Spirit ever known to man? How many would agree with that? That this is not a time, this is not a time for us to get discouraged. This is not the time for us to give up. This is the time for us to be encouraged because Jesus said, when you see these things, look up for your redemption draweth not. Can I hear an amen? So in Jesus' name, I want you to be encouraged today. I want you to be filled with the Spirit, and I want you to know that God is on our side, and the future is bright for the church. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'm telling you today, you're a part of something that's bigger than you are. Amen. Now, Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for these people who love you. Lord, we open our heart up for your word. We open our heart up for what you want to say to us today. And let your word go forth in good soil. And everyone shouted a great big. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Today, I want to preach on the thought, God's toolbox. Everybody say God's toolbox. I'm going to say it again, God's toolbox. Now, I'm not a mechanic. I mean, Tiffany's laughing, but I said, I'm not a mechanic. How many mechanics do we have here? And I'm not even sure if I'm a handyman, you know, I don't know, I just pray over things, you know. Or one of the things I do is I just call somebody that knows how to do it. Why stress out about it when somebody else knows how to do it? Amen, if I know how to do it, I'll do it. But one of the things I've discovered is that uh, the other day, or a couple weeks ago, um, there was something wrong, I mean, there was a, 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 the, um, one of those plates to the light switch was off, and so I was fixing it, and I was thinking, you know, anything that we need there is an answer for. Anything that you have need of, there's a solution for. And I believe that just like some of you have a toolbox, God has a spiritual toolbox. And those tools are essential to get a job done. And I want you to look at your life this morning as something that you're building. You're building something. You're either building it for the glory of God or you're building it for man, but you're building something this morning. You are building something, and it's important how you build and what you are building with. And this morning, I want to look at a spiritual toolbox. As a matter of fact, I want to look at God's toolbox, and I want you to imagine us taking certain tools out of the toolbox, and I want you to use these tools to build your life effectively for the kingdom of God. I just said this, but I think I'm going to reiterate it. You're building your life. You're either building your life to the glory of God or you're building your life to yourself. But all of us this morning is building our life. 
And the question that we got to ask ourselves is, what are you building your life with? And I'm going to share with you some tools that will help you build your life effectively for the kingdom of God. And I'm going to give out a few principles. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write them down. If you have your phone, hopefully that you'll use your phone for that purpose to take notes this morning. And I want you to listen. And I want this to get in your spirit this morning because I believe that it can be transformative in your life if you open up your heart and if open up your spirit to the spiritual tools that's necessary to build your life for the glory of God. The first tool that I think that you need is this. Whatever you feed your mind with today becomes your mindset tomorrow. I want you to think about that statement this morning. Whatever you feed your mind today becomes your mindset tomorrow. Could we say that together as loud as you could say it? Say it with me today. Whatever, whatever you feed your mind today becomes your mindset tomorrow. Have you ever met somebody that wants to change their mind or have you ever met somebody that's always changing their mind? You know what? And some of the things, the way you view things in life is really dependent upon your worldview, how you view things, the lens by which you view things. The lens by which you view things or interpret things is really contingent upon how you think. And how you think is really contingent upon what you feed yourself through the eye gate and through the ear gate what you feed yourself, what you feed yourself mentally eventually becomes your mindset. And I want to say this and say it loud and clear. You can't change your mindset overnight. You can't just go get a book from the book table today and say, I'm going to change my mind over finances. I'm going to change my mind over my marriage. I'm going to change my mind over the church. I'm going to change my mind over tithing. I'm going to change. You can't do that. That's why people get discouraged. They read a book and they, they get all excited about it or they read the Bible and they think their mind is changed and they fall right back into the same rut of thinking that they thought the week ago because you can't change your mindset. You've got to change your thoughts your continual thoughts and your continual thoughts is what molds and makes and forms your mindset. So if you want to change your mindset, it has to be a continual process of you feeding your mind what is appropriate. So if you want to change your mindset about this, if you want to change your mindset about your finances, then you got to read the appropriate books concerning the finances, read the scriptures, quote the scriptures, go to seminars, read, uh, read books, listen to podcasts, let it get inside of your mind so that your continual thoughts will change your mindset. But you cannot change your mindset overnight. You've got to change your continual thought process. And when that is changed, it will form a mindset. It will form a worldview. It will form a different set of thinking, a pattern of thinking. Listen, my friends, you're either resisting your thoughts or you're assisting your thoughts. You've got to make up your mind. Either I'm resisting the negative thoughts or the demonic thoughts or I am assisting those thoughts. You know, I, I've never had a baby before and I'm never going to have a baby, you know. But, you know, one thing that I've learned is that a natural birth, usually the head comes first. And if the head doesn't come first, what do they do? They usually have a cesarean. They usually take the baby that way because the baby can't go th through the birth canal with feet first. It, go, it needs to go through the birth canal with the head first. And that is like us. If you ever want to get out of your problem today, you got to get out of the problem coming head first. 
If you want to get out of your problem, you got to get out of your problem coming head first. You can't go feet first. You got to come out of the problem head first. Your life is changed when you change your mind. Listen, this is the process. Your thoughts, whatever you think on, produces your feelings. Your feelings produces behaviors. Your behaviors produces habits. Your habits produces a life, and your life produces a legacy. And it all starts with your thoughts. Your life is a sum total of your thinking process. You can live in a positive environment and still have a negative life. Have you ever met somebody that has a great job, a great home, has great kids, has a great financial uh, security, and yet they still live, live a negative life? They still think everybody's out to get them. They still think this and they still think that because you can have a perfect environment, but if you don't change your mind, you will live a negative life. It starts with your thought process. Whatever you feed your mind today, church, is going to become your mindset tomorrow. Listen to these scriptures. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 3, listen to the Apostle Paul speaking of the enemy. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose mind the God of this world has blinded. What has the God of this world done? It has blinded the minds of, uh, minds of those who do not believe. Least the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So what is the enemy's purpose? The enemy's purpose is even to blind the hearts of people. And how does he blind the hearts of people? He blinds the hearts of people by distorting your mindset. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7, Paul tells Timothy these words, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. The word sound there, if you see it underlined, it's the word for clear or sober mind, a mind that knows how to think, a mind that is, knows how to reason, a mind that knows how to have clear thoughts. We live in a day and age where people are so bumfuzzled that they can't even pay attention when they're talking to you. Their minds are so scattered. The Lord says he wants to give you a clear mind. He wants to give you a mind where you're able to think, not a, dis not a mind that's scattered. Because a scattered mind is not a mind of God. Because the devil scatters, God gathers. And anytime the enemy scatters something, it is not of God. God gathers. He doesn't scatter. And if you have a scattered mind today... We really need to get it together. That is why the Apostle Paul said this, that he, when he talks about Ephesians chapter 6, about arming with the armor of God, he uses the example of the belt of truth, the belt of truth. What is truth? The Bible says in John 17, 17, thy word is truth. Truth is found in the word of God. The truth is found in the word of God. And in Ephesians chapter 6, the belt of truth you're supposed to put on. How do you put on the belt of truth. You put the belt of truth on because what does a belt do? A belt keeps things together. A belt keeps things together. And when you are constantly putting the Word of God in your mind, it can keep your mind together. Maybe the reason your mind is scattered is because you're putting trash in your mind instead of the Word of God in your mind. And when you put the Word of God in your mind, it becomes a belt and it holds your mind together. Can somebody help me out this morning? The belt of truth. In Middle Eastern cultures, the reason that they wore a belt 
why a, why a soldier would wear a belt, according to Ephesians chapter 6, is because his garments were long. And so he would pick up his garments and attach it to the belt. So the, it, would, it, would, it would relieve him of the stress of walking on his garments. So he would tie the loose ends of his garments with his belt. And that's exactly what the Word of God does. It ties the loose ends of your mind together. It takes the scattered mind and brings the mind together, the belt of truth. You see Luke chapter 8, verse number 35. I want you to look at this. Look at this man who was possessed of the devil, and Jesus freed him from demon possession. And look at this scripture, and I quote, Then they went out to see what had happened, and came to Jesus, and found the man from whom the demons had departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind. Because that's what God does. Brings clarity to your mind. Not confusion, clarity. He doesn't scatter your mind, he gathers your mind. The scripture says in Proverbs 23, verse number 7, for as he thinks, for as he is, he thinks. Proverbs 23, verse 7, for as he thinks in his heart, so he is. So he is. You see, if you think in your heart, so you are. The scripture does not say, as you are, so you think. The scripture says, so you think, you are. So you think you are, not as you are, you think. So your thought process determines a whole lot of what you do in life. There was a man walking down the street in Japan. He was walking down the street. He was a leadership expert, flew over there for a couple weeks to train leaders at a church, walking down the street, and he saw a tattoo parlor as he was walking by. And he noticed that as he walked by a tattoo parlor, that the, 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 the artist tattooed on the right man's left, the right man's shoulder, a phrase that said this, born to lose, born to lose. He was so puzzled by this. Why would anybody put on their body born to lose? Well, so happened that the tattoo artist came to the leadership seminar that week. He so happened to see him after the seminar, went up to the tattoo parlor and had a small talk. Hey, I saw you the other day. I saw you on this, the marketplace. You're doing some tattoos. I noticed the other day that you put a tattoo on somebody's shoulder that said, born to lose. The man in broken English said, well, sir, before tattoo on arm, tattoo on mind. Before tattoo on arm, tattoo on mind. You see, whatever you feed your mind today will become your mindset tomorrow. Number two, let's pick out another tool out of the tool set. I believe this will help you to be effective in the kingdom of God. Number two, how you treat knowledge is how success will treat you. I want to say that again. How you treat knowledge is how success will treat you. Listen to the words of Solomon, and I quote Proverbs chapter 1, verse number 5, A wise man will hear and increase in learning. A man of understanding will attain a wise counsel. Did you hear what Solomon said? He said that a man who was wise will increase in learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. I want you to look at Proverbs chapter 1, verse 
verses 28 through 31, and I want you to see this allegory of this woman that, uh, that Solomon says is crying on the streets. This woman is crying on the streets, and nobody's paying attention. The woman is a picture of wisdom. Wisdom is crying in the streets, and nobody is paying attention. And look what this says, Proverbs 1, 28. Then they will call on me, and I will not answer. And they will seek me diligently, but they will not find me, because they hated knowledge. Because they hated knowledge, and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not, they would not have none of his counsel, and despised every rebuke. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their own ways, and be filled to the full with their own fantasies. You see, ladies and gentlemen, if you hate knowledge, if you hate learning, if you don't want to grow, then success will never find you. It bothers me when people can't come to Wednesday night services or, or, or sit in a Bible study and make statements that they're bored. I've heard people, lots of people say they're bored. They don't want to, they don't want to learn. They don't want to go to a class that's boring. Really? What kind of culture have we developed that we don't like to learn? We don't like to grow. And I'm not pinpointing anybody in the building. Honestly, I'm not. I'm making a general observation in my years of pastoring. I've heard it a lot. I'll come if you're preaching. I'll come if you scream and yell. I'll come if you prophesy me a new house. I'll come. But I don't want to sit down and open my Bible and learn truth. Because you know why people don't want to learn truth? Because it demands that you change your life. And we don't want to change. Change is painful. We don't want to learn. People, people don't want to learn. People get bored. We want to be entertained. And like I said, I'm not pinpointing anybody in the building. I'm just making a general observation. It's a shame. Those that despise knowledge, he says, that you're going to eat the fruit of your own ways. You see how you treat knowledge? is how success will treat you. Look at this, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. As his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who's called us to glory and virtue. You're saved by the knowledge of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in John chapter 8, verse number 32, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Look at the scripture. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. It's not just having the truth that makes you free. It's knowing the truth that makes you free. It's knowing the truth. It's applying the truth that makes you free. You can come to church all day you want and hear truth, but if you don't apply the truth, it will never change your life. It goes in one ear, and it goes out the other ear. What are some tools that we can use to be effective in the kingdom of God? Number one you got to remember that whatever you feed your mind today will become your mindset tomorrow. Number two, we got to remind that how you treat knowledge is how success will treat you. And what is success? Success is obedience to God's plan and God's will. It's not the big house. It's not the big car. It's not this and that. It's obedience to God's plan. Number three, what is another tool that we can use? Number three, prayer doesn't take time, prayer saves time. Martin Luther, the great reformer of the church, said this, and I quote, I have so much to do that I need to at least pray for three hours in the morning. Let me say that again. He said, I have so much to do, I need to at least pray for three hours in the morning. Because he got, and I'm not saying that you need to pray three hours. I have not perfected that discipline for three hours. 
But what I am saying, the principle is this, is that prayer doesn't take your time, it actually saves your time. Do you remember the story of Esther? Do you remember the other woman in the book of Esther that you don't hear of often, Vasti? Vasti and Esther. You know, Vasti was married to the king. And you know that in the story that the king summons Vasti to come in her, into his presence. And the Bible says that she refused to come. She did not come. Vasti did not come. And there's a parallel between Vasti, the one that was married to the king, and she got decrowned later, then Esther, the one that was later crowned queen, and had one and had a, went and met the king one night, one night with the king. So do you see the parallel between these two people? One of them, Vasti, served the women. She had a feast and served the women, and the king called for her, and she refused to come. Esther, what did she do? She prepared a fast. She prepared a fast. One prepared a feast, and the other prepared a fast. One served women, and the other prepared a meal for the king. Esther prepared a meal for the king. One lost her crown, and the other saved the nation. See, this is the dialogue. This is the tension between our prayer life. Vasti represents our fleshly, carnal nature, while Esther represents the spiritual nature who wants to please God. And you've got to understand something, that if you really want to please God, you've got to make it a habit to pray. And prayer doesn't take time. Prayer saves time. It saves time. Don't let raising your kids rob you of the most important priority of your life, and that is God. Don't let your job rob you of the most, most important priority of your life, and that is to commune with God. Don't let your finances and your wallet take away from the most important priority of your life, and that is God. Prayer is about getting in His presence. But it's not about just getting his presence, but give this. Prayer is about God getting in your presence. Prayer is about God getting in your presence and not necessarily his. Why is it that we become so selfish in prayer? I want to get in his presence. I need a blessing. I need God to bless me. And that's okay. I believe that the steps of a righteous man is ordered of the Lord. You don't have to always pray for a blessing. If you're walking in obedience and submission to his will, God's going to take care of you. But prayer is about God getting in your presence and not necessarily his. So when we come to prayer, it's about him wanting your presence, not necessarily us trying to get his presence. What happens when you don't see someone for days or weeks? What happens if you don't see your spouse? What if you go away? to a job? What if you're deported? You miss your spouse or your loved ones. You don't come back. You don't want the other person to feel guilty for missing you, do you? You want them to miss you. It's not about coming in God's presence saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry I haven't prayed enough. I'm sorry I haven't read the word enough. I'm sorry I haven't done good deeds enough. God doesn't want your sorry. God wants to know, do you miss him? It's not about if you're sorry. 
Quit feeling guilty that you don't pray enough. Quit feeling you're not breaking any rules. There's not a rule in the Bible that says you've got to pray three hours a day or 20 minutes a day. Prayer is a lifestyle. Quit feeling guilty. God wants to know, do you miss him? The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, that Jesus said, when you pray, shut the door. Shut the door and pray to your Father in secret. In other words, what does it mean to shut the door? It means to close out the distractions of your life. Because distractions produce defeated Christians. Distractions produce defeated Christians. Let me say something. Let me say it loud and clear because I think that this is important and I think it could be revolutionary. Intimacy happens behind closed doors. A married couple, intimacy happens behind closed doors with the phone off and the door shut. When you begin to become intimate with God, you should shut the door and shut off the phone so you can have quiet time with God. Prayer is not about you releasing your burden. Prayer is about you getting God's burden. Prayer is not an excuse for your disobedience either. You can pray all night and all day and fast all day, but if God has told you to do something, it doesn't matter how much you pray, it's not going to change God's mind. You see, when you begin to pray, when you begin to shut the door, and when you begin to develop intimacy with God, don't worry about how long you're in there or how long it takes. It's not about the length of time. It's about quality time. It's about closing out the distractions. And when you live a life of prayer, listen to this preacher, when you live a life of prayer and devotion to God, what did Jesus say in Matthew 6, verse 6? He said, I will reward you openly. Things will begin to happen in your life that you will have no explanation for. Doors will begin to open in your life that you were not qualified for. You will begin to have things happen to you that there's no explanation for. You were not qualified for it. You didn't have the degree for it. You didn't say the right thing for it. And all of a sudden, things begin to turn around. Things begin to open. And there's no humanly explanation for it. Do you know what God is trying to teach you? God is trying to teach you that if you pray in private, I will do my power in public. You can do more in prayer than you can do burning both candles at both ends. It is not about how, it's about who. Sometimes we get so, so frustrated how to pray and what to say. It's not the how, it's who. It's what prayer is. What, what, what is the tools that we can use? We can use the tool that, number one, that whatever you feed your mind today becomes your mindset tomorrow. Number two, how you treat knowledge is how success will treat you. Number three, prayer doesn't take time. My friends, prayer actually saves time. Some of us, is, we're working real hard. Some of us is doing everything we know how to do and it's still not working out. God is saying, if you claim me as your father, if you say that I'm your father, I discipline my children. He's trying to teach you to lay down in green pastures. He's How do you lay down in green pastures? You lay down in all four. He says, I want you to be submitted to me in the green pastures. I want to teach you something that you can do more in prayer than you can do seven days a week in work. It changes the atmosphere. Number four. Whatever you are hiding today, 
can change your life tomorrow. Whatever you're hiding today can change your life tomorrow. Listen to this principle, and I think this principle is so important that I don't want you to lose me. I want to show you something in Scripture that I think is revolutionary for me, and I want it to be for you. Maybe it will touch your life like it touched my life. I want to give you two examples of people that hid something in the Bible. I wanted you to see the first person is Rahab. She hid the spies. And number two, I want you to see Achan, how he hid something that was stolen. I want to read the two scriptures to you, or several scriptures to you, about two people in the Old Testament that hid something. Number one, I want you to look at Rahab. I want you to see Rahab in the book of Joshua where the Bible says that she hid the spies. The Bible says in Joshua chapter 2, verse 4, then the woman, who is Rahab, took the two men, and what did she do? She hid them. So she said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. Now, Rahab was a harlot. Rahab was a prostitute. She was a woman of the night, but God used her to save the spies. She hid the spies. Before they went over to the Jordan River, she hid them. But the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 31, I want you to look, this, look at this proclamation concerning Rahab. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. So do you see that? Do you see Rahab? She hid the spies. She hid something. And as a result of her hiding something, she was delivered in the end. She hid the spies. And as a result of her hiding the spies, she was freed in the end. Her life turned around. As a matter of fact, in the genealogy of Jesus, Jesus comes from Rahab in the genealogy of Rahab. So God used Rahab because she was obedient and hid the spies. What you hide today can change your life tomorrow. What you hide today can change your life tomorrow. Let's look at the second person that hid something. His name is Achan. The Bible says in Joshua chapter 7 and verse number 19, look at the scripture concerning Achan. Now Joshua said to Achan, my son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make a confession to him and tell him now what you have done and do not hide it from me. Do not hide it from me. And Achan said to Joshua, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils of the beautiful Babylonian garment 200 shekels of silver and a wage of gold weighing 50 shekels, I covenanted them and took them, and they were hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. What happened to Achan? Because he hid stolen garments. He hid something that he should have never hid. What happened to him? Joshua 7, verse 25, and Joshua said, Why do you trouble us? The Lord trouble you this day. So Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned him with fire after they had stoned him with stones. My friends, listen to Pastor Josh today. A tool that we need to realize in our tool set is this, that whatever you hide today, whatever you hide today can change your life tomorrow. Whatever you hide today can change your life tomorrow. Rahab hid the spies. 
She did it out of obedience to God, and because she hid the spies, she is now in the hall of faith, and she is now included in the genealogy of Jesus. However, Achan hid something that was stolen. He hid something that was forbidden, and because he hid something that was stolen and forbidden, his life perished in the end. Two people hid something. One hid the spies, and one hid Babylonian garments. One of them was saved in the end, and one of them perished in the end. And I want to say this and say it loud and clear, that if you hide the presence of God in your life, you will make it in the end. But if you start hiding secret sins in your life, you will perish in the end. You got to make a decision. Is it the secret place or is it the secret sin? Is it the secret sin or the secret place? Am I going to hide the presence of God in my life? Am I going to go in the secret place and hide the presence of God in my life? Or am I going to hide the secret sin in my life? Because whatever you hide in your life, my friends, it will destroy you in the end or it will prosper you in the end. It will prosper you in the end or destroy you in the end. Are you a Rahab or are you an Achan? What are you hiding in your personal life? Are you a man and woman of prayer? Do you have a secret place? Are you coveting the presence of God? Are you coveting the glory of God in your secret place? Or are you in the secret place looking at things you shouldn't be looking at? Are you in the secret place doing things you shouldn't be doing? Because whatever you hide in your life, it will either promote you or destroy you. I don't know about you, but I want to be a person like Rahab that covens the power of God, that hides the power of God, that hides the presence of God. I want to be a man of prayer. I want to be a man of discipline. I want to be a man of delight. I want to be a man that is in the prayer closet coveting the power and presence of Almighty God. Can somebody help me preach up in here? Number five, Samson, you Samson, Delilah said, baby, baby, tell me what the secret of your power is. Samson said, I ain't going to tell you. And then he lied to her, told her stories. You know the story. And what, what, did, what did she do? The Bible says she pestered him. You got to watch people who pester you. Nagged him. Got on his nerves. And the Bible says he told her everything that was in his heart. He told the secret of his power. The secret of his power wasn't found in his hair. The secret of his power was found in his devotion to God. And your secret to your power and your strength is not found on your job. It's not found in your husband. It's not found in your wife. It's not found in your kids. It's not found in your employment. It's not found in your 401k. It is found in the Lord. And if your strength is found in the Lord, there can't nobody take it from you. Number five, another tool that we can get out of the toolbox is don't hide from God when you commit sin. Hide in God. Don't hide from God when you sin. 
Don't tuck your tail and run. But hide in God. God wants you to come to Him when you sin. You say, Pastor, but I've, I've messed up. Over and over and over. That's all right. That's all right. Pigs stay in the mud. When sheep get in the mud, they cry. And I've come to let you know you're not a pig. You're a sheep, and you know his voice. You're not called to stay in the mud. You're called to run to the shepherd. Run to him. If you would confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you would be saved. The Bible says that, speaking of Christians, that if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. What, what is another tool that we can use to build our life for the glory of God? Oh, I've gave you many tools this morning. Number one, I told you that whatever you feed your mind today, it will become your mindset tomorrow. I've told you that how you treat knowledge is how success will treat you. I've told you that prayer doesn't take time. It saves time. I've told you that whatever you're hiding today can change your life tomorrow. That is why I'm so encouraged. You know why I'm so encouraged? Literally. I'm probably more, I'm just so encouraged I really could run around this building. You know why? Because every Wednesday night we got people praying up in here. Every week we got people fasting. They're in their secret place and praying. And I want to let you know that whatever we're hiding in the private, God is going to do something in the public. Did you hear me? Number six, I'm almost done. Let's get another tool. I want you to remember that there's a difference between building on Jesus and building with Jesus. There's a difference between building on Jesus, building with Jesus. Now let me clarify my statement. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul, and I quote 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. Listen to the vocabulary here. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds upon it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through the fire." Now, did you see what he said? He said, there is no other foundation that you can build on. The foundation is Jesus Christ. You can't add to the foundation. You can't even subtract from the foundation. No other foundation anybody can lay. The foundation is already laid. There's lots of Christians. Your foundation is Jesus, no doubt. You love him. But the question is, is it's not... 
necessarily building on that foundation. It's how you're building the rest of the building. Are you building with Jesus? I know you're building on Jesus, but are you building with Jesus? And there's a difference. The Apostle Paul said, listen, there's one foundation, but he says, but take heed, remember? He said, take heed to how you build. He says, there are two groups of people. One group will build upon gold, silver, and precious stone. The other will build upon wood, hay, or stubble. Do you see that? Look at it. He said in verse number 12, he says, there is no other foundation. Verse 12, if, now if anyone builds on this foundation, so your responsibility is to build. The foundation's already laid. He says, but you can build upon it with silver, precious stone, or gold, or wood, hay, or stubble. He said, but in the end, it will be sorted out about how you built this building. In other words, there's two groups of people. You're either building your life upon wood, hay, or stubble, or you're building your life upon gold, silver, or precious stone. My friends, there's a difference between building on Jesus or building with Jesus. What are you building your life with? Are you building your life with gold and silver and precious stone? Or are you building your life with wood, hay, or stubble? What do you mean, pastor? Well, let me just break it down. Wood, hay, and stubble, gold, silver, precious stone. One of them is cheap, and one of them is expensive. One of them you can get in great qualities or quantities, and the other you can get small amounts. The other one is temporary, and the other one lasts longer for generation to generation. In other words, are you building your life upon things that's common, are you building your life upon things that's cheap? Are you building your life upon things that's temporary? Or are you building your life upon something that's eternal, something that's rare, something that's expensive? Are you building your life upon something that, something that people cannot see? Are you building your life upon something that's not common? Are you building your life upon something that's expensive? Because whatever you build your life upon will determine how you make it in life. Because when trials and tribulations and heartache and distress comes, if you build your life upon something that's common, if you build your life upon something that's temporary, build your life upon cheap things, when the hard things of life comes, you will crumble under the pressure. You can build your life upon degrees, you can build your life upon your intellect. You can build your life upon your marriage and your money and your wisdom and your hard work and your children. America applauds that. America doesn't applaud fasting, church attendance, extravagant giving, uncommon kindness. Developing a secret place, that's expensive. That's rare. Very few do it. That's why it's expensive. If you build your life upon wood, hay, or stubble, you're going to crash. I want to ask you something. Can your life survive pain? Can your life survive rejection? Can your life survive hurt and disappointment and scandal? Can it survive it? 
I don't know. Your life will tell a story. It will tell whether you've built up on things that's common and cheap and temporary or whether you've built things upon things that's uncommon and rare and expensive. What material are you building your life upon? Oh, I, I didn't say you don't love Jesus. You have the foundation. I'm asking you how you build in the building. The foundation is Jesus. It's already laid. There is a difference between building on Jesus and building with Jesus. What are you building? What material are you building your life with? In closing, let's just go through our toolbox again. Let's pick out the last tool. The last tool to help you live is number seven. Many things are broken by growth and not by deliverance. Many things are broken by growth and not deliverance. Listen, I'm Pentecostal. I was raised that way. I believe in it. I've actually experienced it. I know that God can deliver and God can heal, but I also know that God's plan is for us to grow. And some of us jump the ship when it's uncomfortable, but that's when you need to grow more. Some of us want to throw in the towel when it gets uncomfortable and it hurts, but God is calling you to grow. Just like you grow physically, God wants you to grow spiritually. What is spiritual growth? It is more of Jesus being expressed through less of me. That is spiritual growth. It's more of Jesus being expressed through less of me. That's spiritual growth. Am I adopting his values? Am I adopting his virtues? You got to stay the course. Listen, there's five levels of growth in the physical world. Let's look at man and woman, for example. Number one, man and female, male and female. When you're born, you're determined and defined by your gender. As you get a little older, girls and boys, you're defined by your toys. As you get a little older, you become a man and a woman, you're defined by responsibilities. Husband and wife, you're defined by mutual submission. And then father and mother, you're defined by your offspring. And I would say this, my friends, that this is the progress of spiritual growth. We have people in the church that's playing with toys, and you've been in the church for 30 years. Put down your toys and grow up and take responsibility. You have to grow up. You have to grow up. You have to take... What, 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 what is... What is maturity? This is what it means to mature. It is the ability to take responsibility. Jesus said to the man, John chapter 8, take up your mat and follow me. I've healed you, but your responsibility is maturity. You got to take up the mat and follow me. He walked into the synagogue and saw the man with the withered hand. What is maturity? Responsibility. Jesus said, stretch out your hand. Take responsibility. Take responsibility. Take responsibility. The woman with the issue of blood took responsibility. I am sick and I cannot help myself. Maturity is the ability to take responsibility. 
Go back to the screen again. You have male, female. You have boys and girls, man, woman. What does it mean to be a mother and father in the faith? It means that you produce followers of Jesus. You produce offspring. You become missional. It no longer is about your toys. It's about you making sure that people hear about Jesus. That's how you know you're growing in the faith. That's how you know you're growing in the faith. You see, as I look back on all these tools, I believe that each of these tools tell us how to be effective for the kingdom of God. I believe that tool number one tells us that whatever you feed your mind today will become your mindset tomorrow. Number two, it tells me that how you treat knowledge is how success will treat you. Number three, prayer doesn't take time. Prayer saves time. Number three, that whatever you are hiding today can change your life tomorrow. Number four, don't hide from God when you commit sin. Hide in God. Number six, there's a difference between building on Jesus and building with Jesus. And lastly, many things are broken by growth and not just by deliverance. Are you controlled by your feelings or ruled by your feelings? You see, maturity. Now, I'm asking you in two weeks, let's become missional. Let's become mothers and fathers in the faith. Mothers and fathers in the faith don't play with toys. They're about the offspring. We have our come and see service in two weeks, July the 12th. And it's a wonderful opportunity for you to invite somebody to come and hear stories of people's lives being tra transformed and changed. Listen, Pastor Josh can't do it myself. I'm asking you to come on this journey with me. I'm asking you to participate with me. You say, well, Pastor, I've asked people and they've said no. I'm asking you don't give up on people. Somebody didn't give up on you. God doesn't give up on people. I'm asking you to invite and then invest into someone's life. I'm asking you to pray about it. Who can I invite to the come and see service? Ask him, will you come to church with me and hear stories about people's lives being changed. Would you come and see? I'm asking you to let this become a part of your life for the next two weeks. I'm asking you to be a mother and father in the faith. I'm asking you to be concerned about the offspring. I'm asking you to take the initiative and let's invite somebody. Did you know that 80% of people who come to church come to church because a, friend's inv a friend invited them? And I'm asking you, every one of you knows somebody at work. You know somebody at the bank, at the grocery store. You know somebody. I'm asking you, would you invite them? And would you pray for them? And continue to invite them. Bug them for two weeks. Invite them. You never know what God will do in the heart of a man and a woman in the presence of God. I'm asking you to be the feet and the hands of Jesus. Our mission is to develop disciples with all of our head, heart, hands, and feet. Why don't we just practice that? Would you help me practice that? 